Well, good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. Can we give it up for all of our parking lot workers, all those people out there? I mean, they were putting stuff up and directing people and snowed in and all that good stuff. And so, it, man, there, nothing works like local church works when local church works the way local church is designed to work. And I'm just telling you, Life Church, you are amazing at serving one another, serving the kingdom, and just all that you're doing. Even as I was standing here today and just watching the band, uh, everybody that's on the band that, that's, that's, that's here, they're, they're not employed. I mean, they're not paid to be up here. They, they you know, just to, to see the level of talent that's here that's come up in this church and all of this and that. And so just amazing to see that and to see you and all of that stuff. If we could just find somebody that could preach, and I could just sit there on the front row of my wife, and that'd be good. So if, any takers? Right there, I see that hand. Oh, you're coughing. I'm sorry. So, uh, so anyhow, if you have your Bibles, turn me to Genesis chapter 29. Genesis 29. We're starting a brand new series, a love series. Love. Everybody say love. Yeah, like that, you know. Like it's February. And I mean, I, when I was a youth pastor, Tammy and I youth pastor for about 10 years, and we would always do like this dating relationship. We talk about sex basically in the month of February because they're teenagers. And so they, the numbers would always just go sky high because, I mean, these middle school, high school kids are like, yeah, let's just, let's talk, we're thinking about it, let's just talk about it. And so let me say this, if you have elementary age kids, uh, you may want to slip out because today's P is, is PG-13 and, and that's kind of what we do every weekend. That's kind of my mindset since we got world-class uh, kids facilities. And so if you do want to slip out, an usher can help you get your son or your daughter checked in so you don't have to like Hey, Dad, what did he mean when he said you don't have that conversation on the way home? And uh, I said that last service, and I had a couple families take me up on that offer because, I, again, I'm trying to be mindful. But uh, I'm not going to pull back on, 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 on some of this conversation. But we're going to talk, talk about kind of love and relationships and marriage and all that kind of stuff in this series. We're going to have a good time. And speaking of love and marriage and relationships, this Thursday night, I encourage you, if you're a married couple at Life Church to be here at Married Life Live. It starts at 6.30, it's done at 8 o'clock, it's $20 a couple. It's a great time for you to kind of, uh, it's some dessert, fellowship, connect with other, other couples that are in the church. Nobody's going to get all up in your business. We're not, that's not the idea. The idea behind it is that there's basically about six different virtues or characteristics of a godly marriage. And, and so what we want to do is every time we come together, every, every, every other month or so when we do these, is to champion one of those virtues. And, uh, and so it's a very highly relational, fun, kind of an evening and an, an atmosphere. And uh, there's a panel discussion that's going to go on. So it's live discussion. I think there are actually going to be some Q&A. So if you know somebody that's going to be on the panel, you can ask them really good questions and, uh, and kind of embarrass them. That'd be fun. And, uh, but it's going to be a good time. It's here in the auditorium here at the Germantown campus. And so I encourage you, if you haven't signed up today, you can do that online or you can drop by the Resource Center today in order to do that. So it's 20 bucks a couple, pretty cheap date, but a great way just to instill godly values into your marriage and to kind of dive deeper on some of these subject matters. Today, as I'm talking about this, some of you are already kind of checking out on me because you're going, well, I've been married for X number of years. I've got a healthy marriage, healthy relationship, or whatever. This passage of Scripture that I'm going to unpack, I'm going to kind of read it the way it's written, kind of in a narrative form. It's one of those where there is probably 12 different sermons that I could preach. 
and not all of which would deal with marriage or, or, or engagement or love. I'm going to come at it from that angle, but there's a lot of different downloads. And so I hope that you'll just kind of open yourself to this, this passage of Scripture. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. But, but what I want to hit on today is, is that many people look to someone else to complete them. To use a Tom Cruise phrase, you know, that they, that they look to this other individual to complete them. That if I marry so-and-so, I will be complete. If, I, if I'm no longer single, if I'm married, then I'll be, if, if I have, if we're married, but if we just had a child, then it'll complete me. It, it's, I'm looking to someone else to complete me. And this isn't a new issue. This isn't a new phenomenon. This is the human condition. The problem with that is that no other person on the planet can complete you. It's a completely false misnomer to think that you're going to marry Mr. Right or Miss Right and they're going to make you the whole package. It just doesn't work that way. Why? Because I'm so glad you asked that question. Because you and I are created as, as finite, limited, corruptible, uh, fallen, failed, flawed human flesh. And we're incomplete. And it is in our own brokenness, we look for wholeness. But to try to find wholeness in someone else's brokenness is insanity. And I can't tell you how many times people think, they even hear a message like this, a sermon like this, or they read a passage of scripture like we're going to do today, and they just say, well, that's just not me, or that's just not my story, or they discount it, only to have to face the reality of it. I've been married 23 years, married to a wonderful woman, married way over my pay grade, and, 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 and would do it again a million times over, and hopefully she'd say yes a million times over as well. Amen. She said amen. I was waiting on that. It took a few seconds. So anyhow, it's cold, so it takes a little while to warm up today. So anyhow, um, but, but, but the reality is, is that there's no way I look to Tammy to complete me. I, I never have. And she has looked for me to complete her because there's no way that I can. Because I, I'm finite. I'm limited. I, I, I have my own issues. And she's finite and limited. She has her own issues. And there's something in all of us that want to, what the Bible says, to know and be known. Which is this. If you would really know me, my strengths, my weaknesses, my good days, my bad days, my, 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 my thoughts, my sins, my temptations. If you knew all of that, but yet you completely loved and accepted me, that's what I long for. But guess what? The only thing that we have this side of eternity that does that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what makes it so powerful. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That word so means without strings, without condition. So you have a Savior and his name is Jesus. Your Savior isn't Susie or Jonathan or Samantha or Jack. It's Jesus. But so many times I see young adults looking for the fulfillment in that other person. I see married couples frustrated with one another because they're looking for that other person to bring them happiness. Happiness isn't found anywhere in the Bible. You understand that, don't you? Happiness is a euphoric feeling that's here today and gone tomorrow. Happiness is what advertisers sell you to be able to say, if you will drink this, drive this, live here, wear this, then you will be happy. Joy, which is a fruit of the Spirit of God, that God gives you the ability to produce in yourself. He doesn't give it to you. He gives you the ability to grow and to cultivate it according to Galatians 5.22. That that's something that comes up out of a lifetime and so that you're looking for joy, not for happiness. But many people look for happiness, which is euphoric, which is not lasting, which is very much here today and gone tomorrow, instead of looking for joy. But even in that, you're not going to find joy and happiness in another person. It's only going to come out of a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And even with your children, sometimes you go, well, I've got a great marriage, but if I just had children, that would just so complete me. And, and, and I understand what you're saying. And the desire for children is not wrong or bad, but I see people really get hung up on this, like in a way that they can't serve God and they can't, they can't listen. And some of you may even be putting up a wall on me right now because you're like, this just isn't fair and you just don't understand and you just don't get this. No, I, I do. I totally get this. I, I just think that at the end of the day, you're looking for a finite, limited, flawed creation to replace in you and only the creator can. And we see this today with this life of the story of Jacob. Jacob is looking for love. He's, he's looking for the love of his life and he sees her in this lady named Rachel. Rachel has a sister named Leah who is the older sister and the father's name is Laban and we begin to see this love story between Jacob and Rachel, and you're going to see how Leah is involved. Because he goes to bed with Rachel and he wakes up with Leah, which would be a great country song, wouldn't it? But that's what happens. Genesis chapter 29, verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Look at verse 17. Leah had weak eyes. That means she wasn't very pretty. That's a good Old Testament way for saying she was not very good looking, Okay. I need to subjugate the verbs there from the, in the Hebrew. Okay. But Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. So she was smoking hot and she was beautiful. That's what it was saying in the original. Amen. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. These are two sisters. One kind of fell out of the ugly tree. The other one <laughs> was just, huh? And he sees this. I'm not saying anything that's not there. I'm just wanting you to understand. Sometimes we read scripture and we make it too sanctimonious. She had weak eyes. Oh, she must have wore glasses. No, she was hard on the eyes. That's what it should say. <laughs> and Rachel was lovely and form and beautiful. She was like supermodel, like wow, okay? And Jacob had this thought. If I could just marry Rachel, my life would be complete. If I could just be with that girl who is beautiful and, 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 and her face and lovely in form, and, and if I could just be with her, if I could just marry her, if I, my life would be complete. And this is what a lot of people do. They see something, they have an idea in their mind, and they think if I could just marry, if I could just be connected to, if I could just, if we could be only to wake up and discover completely different truth. Because one is fantasy in your head, the other is truth and reality. And again, in life, when you have expectation and reality, all the difference between the expectation, the fantasy, and the reality, this difference is frustration. And the greater the degree that you have a higher expectation and a lower reality, the more difference, the more frustration. The more these two are together, the closer they are, the lower the level of frustration. It's not that I'm trying to lower your expectation that you can't marry someone who is lovely in form and beautiful. I'm saying to you, you need to understand that what you see and what you think is actually going to meet your needs is not necessarily going to be that. And you think that someone, because they're beautiful in form and they're beautiful in face and, and, and they, they walk a certain way and they talk a certain way and they come from a certain family, that life is just going to be great only to marry them and to wake up and realize it's not. Because you're looking to that person to complete you. So I want to just kind of talk about this. Because a lot of people, look that they think marriage is their answer. If I could just be with this person. Married people just think, I'm unhappy in this relationship. But if I could marry a man that was like this. If I could marry a woman that was like this. 
And, and the problem is, is that the problem isn't that other person. The problem is you. It's not another marriage. It's you. It's not what she's doing or what he's doing that's driving you nuts. It's you. You are looking for that person to complete you. You're looking for that person to meet your needs. You're single, and you're just saying, man, if I just had this, if I just married this, if I just, it would just be great, and this would be great. But the problem is, is that you're looking for that person to complete and to bring something in you that they don't have the ability to. So when marriage is your answer, that's kind of what I want to point out today. Look at verse 18. Jacob was in love with Rachel. And he said, I'll work for you seven years, speaking to Laban the father, in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. When marriage is your answer, you compromise more than you should. You compromise more than you should. When you look to that person... And it's all about their lovely form and all about their beautiful face. It's all about his, how amazing he is or how hot she is or how much this is or that is. And and again, I would push back and say there's probably more heat and lust going on here than there is love. Contrary to the great theologian Ed Sheeran, you're not going to find the best mate in a club. It's just not going to work that way. The reality is is that what happens is when we see that, we think, if I can just have, if I could just have, if I would just be with, if I could just be connected to, and then you begin to compromise. So you begin to violate God's word. And so instead of staying within the sanctimonious uh, institution of marriage, where, where marriage, where you, you allow sex to happen inside of marriage and not outside of marriage, you violate scripture because you begin to compromise. Because the Bible is very straight on this, that sexual relationships outside of marriage is a sin. Well, but everybody else is doing it. Well, but you just don't understand. Well, but it just kind of happened. Well, but it just kind of, and some of you, it amazes me the number of people that will sit in a church week in and week out and lift their hands in worship and they'll be involved and they'll do all this kind of stuff. But when it comes to what I just said, they completely will shack up and completely disregard God's, God's word. And why? Let me show you the, I do this with teenagers all the time. It's, it, sex is like a fire, and I'm all for sex. I think sex is great, and it's awesome, and it's amazing, and that's why I serve God, because God created sex, and if God's going to be that cool, he had me at hello, okay? Right, amen? And if you don't think that, you're, you're lying. Okay, so anyhow, so sex is like a fire. Well, if you take that fire and you put it in a fireplace, like on a day like today when it's kind of snowy outside and cold outside, and those of you that are watching online, you may have a fireplace going, and so anyhow, so anyhow, so you've got that going. It's amazing, it brings warmth and life. It's life-giving. It's, it, it produces so much. It's, 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 it's just, it creates an environment that you can actually cook over it if it's a live open flame. And you can produce heat for a house and just all of that. But if you take that exact same fire and you move it just a few feet, six feet, eight feet away from the fireplace and you put it in the center of the living room floor, it will burn the house down. The same thing that has the ability to be life-giving is destructive. The same thing that has the ability to be so warmth and so amazing and so awesome day in and day out that can just bless a home is the exact same thing that can destroy the house. And we know that biblically, but yet we reject God's word because we compromise, because we see that she is so beautiful in face. He is so lovely in form. If I could just be with her, if I could just be with him. And so even if I can't marry them now, I will do what I can do in order to kind of kind of get my dibs in so that I've got them. So I will give up my virginity. I will give up my purity. I will give up what I should be saving. I will allow the fire to be set in the middle of the living room floor, hoping that it doesn't burn. 
burn the house down. It's crazy. It's insane. But we do this because we think that that person is going to complete us. You compromise. Look at verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife for my time is complete. I want to lie with her. Do I need to explain what lie with her means? I think we all get that, right? We don't need any pictures on this one. When marriage becomes your answer, you become demanding. You become demanding. Well, what do you mean, Aaron? I mean, you shut down any amount of thought or process or counsel or anyone speaking into your life. Let me, let me say it like this. Some of you come from homes and families that your parents aren't Christians, but they're good people, and they raise you with good moral values. And you're dating someone or you're engaged with someone, and your dad or your mom, they don't approve. And they've got some pretty basic good reasons why they don't approve, but you're not listening to them. You're shutting them out. And the reality is, is that they know you and they want good for you, but you don't listen to them. And wisdom would tell you, listen. If your parents are telling you something is ill-matched, something doesn't make sense, this doesn't seem right, listen. You got friends that are going, there's something not right about him. There's something that's not right about her. There's more to this story. And you just, you just don't understand. You're just jealous. No, they're not jealous. They're trying to help you. But you don't listen because you are so enthralled that this person will complete me and this person will make me. And you just don't understand. It's like I talk to premarital, premarital counseling with couples, and, I, and I'll say to them, have you guys had a conversation about your credit scores? They look at me like, what? Yeah, yeah, your credit scores. Like, do you know what his credit score is? Do you know what her, how much is his debt load? He, he went to a pretty nice school. Do you know how much he still owes? No, I don't. You need to find out what each other owes because in the state of Wisconsin, that when you marry him and marry her, I don't care how lovely and formed he or she is, you're marrying their debt. Well, it just doesn't feel real, real, real loving. Doesn't feel very loving. Wake up, McFly. I mean, there's going to come a day where <laughs> you lost that love and feeling. It's gone, gone, gone. Whoa, whoa. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to happen. And, and it's going to be about paying the bills. Not that you can't be in love. I'm just saying this from a 23-year-old, uh, 23-year married guy. This is, this is just part of life. Have you had a conversation about your sexual history? Well, neither one have been sexually active. Great. Then that's your sexual history. It's zero, so that's good. But, but if, he, if he has a sexual history or she has a sexual history, then have you had any type of STD test, any kind of test to make sure that who you're marrying and what you're going to bed with is going to be what you think that it is? Well, that would just seem very cold, and I'm supposed to trust them. Yeah. And if they have nothing to hide, they'll have no problem with this because you're spending the rest of your life. In this day and age, you may have to ask questions about gender and history. It becomes very uncomfortable. Trust me. Some of the, the theological symposiums that I've set in the last two or three years of what they are telling us as clergy that we are going to be facing as ministers of the cloth that are marrying people and laity and what we're going to be encountering would totally, real life situations would blow your brains. Just completely fry the circuits. Like I'm going, no, 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 there, there's no way that you just said what I thought you just said. 
See, what happens is, is all of a sudden when we see someone and we see something and we think that's what's going to complete me, that's what's going to work, and that's what's, and we rationalize in our minds, we shut everything else out and we become demanding. And what I'm trying to say to you is, is slow down. Listen to the counsel that's around you. Listen to your pastor. Listen to God's word. Listen to the people that you're in a life group with. This reason why it's so important to be in relationship and in, in, in a biblical uh, functional community. But listen to your mom and your dad. Listen to your grandparents. Listen. There's, this is age-old wisdom. What we're talking about here, this is Genesis. This is the first book in the Bible. This is not a new situation. It's not a new issue. And Jacob could have saved himself a lot of heartache if he would have just slowed down. Look at verse 23. But when evening came, Laban, the father, took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and Jacob lay with her. So they were married. Verse 25. When morning came, there was Leah. Explanation point. He didn't see that one coming. Went to bed with Rachel. Thought he was marrying Rachel, but he wakes up, it's Leah. It must, he must have been a really dark night or a lot of veil going on. I don't know. But anyhow. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you've done to me? For I've served you for Rachel, didn't I? And why have you deceived me? When you look for someone else to complete you, you always end up dissatisfied. You think you're getting one thing and you get something else. In this particular situation, that's exactly what happens. But it's true in our own lives. If I just am with, and if I could just be, if this is the way it would work, if this is it. See, he went to bed with Rachel, but he woke up with Leah. And this is where people find themselves, metaphorically speaking. You married, and in that moment, you were, it was love, lust, heat, whatever it was. You married, you consummate the relationship, you're doing life together, and now you're waking up with someone who is completely different than who you thought they were going to be. And now all their idiosyncrasies and all their differences began to become magnified. And you got each other. And so there are things that you did to win her, things that she did to win you that they no longer do, you no longer do. And, and there are courtesies that you would give one another that you no longer give. And, and there are, are, are things that just happen, and they just happen with life and whatever. And you see a side of them that you didn't see before, and you know things about them that you didn't know before. And all of a sudden, all of this, this, this everything that just seems so blissful and so wonderful and whatever, all of a sudden is you roll over, you look, and who you're with is not who you thought you were would be with. And you went to bed with Rachel, but you woke up with Leah. So what do you do in that moment? Many times what people do is exactly what Leah does. If I can just have a child, he'll love me. If we can just have a child, that'll become the object of our affection. Look at verse 31, 32. And then when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah became pregnant and gave birth to her son. And she named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Again, a spouse cannot complete you. It's not how they're designed. It's not what it's there for. A spouse is to compliment you, not to complete you. And children are to be a, they are to be a byproduct, an offspring of the affection that a husband and wife have for one another. Not to be the object of affection, but to be the product of the affection. 
And many times what happens is, is that people begin to think, well, if I could just have kids and it'll just all be good. No, what happens is, is then it all becomes about the kids and it doesn't become about the marriage. And many of you, you're, you're in homes where quite frankly, the master bedroom, your kids live there and you're kind of relegated to a 10 by 10 room down the hall and bunk beds. And you wonder why you don't have a sex life. And be, because your kids are running you from here to there, to here to there, to here to there, to here to there. And you're running a taxi service for them here and for there and to do this and to do that. And then all of a sudden, 20 some odd years go by, you're an empty nester and you're looking at one another and you don't even know that person. Because instead of your children being an object, excuse me, a product of your affection, they become the object of your affection. And the person that's to be the object of your affection is to be your spouse, not your children. The Bible says that children are you to raise them and to teach them and to train them so that one day they will leave. That's a good thing. Amen. And when they leave, downsize really fast. So when they come back home, say, there's no room for you, baby. We love you, but we only got an extra bedroom and we got a dog and they're there. Amen. You know what I'm talking about? No, shout me now when I'm preaching good. Woo, my God. Somebody spilled their coffee as they were watching online. I'm just telling you, that was good. But sad to say, a lot of times it doesn't happen because that child or those children are meant to kind of be a barrier or to be kind of a, a, a distraction from the lovelessness that's taking place. Again, this isn't new. This is, this is Old Testament. But it doesn't change the marriage. So what's the answer? Here's the issue. The issue is that you're searching for the wrong one. When everybody say, I'm looking for the right one, you're searching for the wrong one. You're searching for the one to be another person, to be a spouse, or, to be, or, 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 or you shift that to your children, and that's completely wrong. What's correct is that to be really fulfilled in life is you have to find the one. That is true. But you have to define who the one is. So who is the one? It's according to Scripture, God is your one and your spouse is your two. I know this is really simple, but this is, but this is more, more not lived than is lived many times in the church. That God is your one and your spouse is your two. Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things shall be added unto you. See, I don't look to Tammy to complete me. I look to Jesus. I have one Savior, and his name is Jesus. Your Savior's name is not Jessica. It's not Jack. It's Jesus. Quit looking for another broken human being to fill the brokenness in your life, it will never, ever, ever happen. Well, do you love Tammy? Absolutely. Do you enjoy your time with Tammy? Absolutely. I, I, if I had one person on the planet to talk to, it'd be Tammy. I love I think she's got a brilliant mind. I think she is wickedly smart. I think she has a high processing speed and a bandwidth that's beyond mine. That's one of the reasons why I married her. But many times what we do is we marry people because they're good makeout partners or because they kiss well or because they look well or because they're beautiful in face and lovely in form. And all of that's fine. But at the end of the day, when all of that's over with, are you having a conversation? Are you talking? What do you want to do with your life? Because if you want to live in a Cape Cod with a picket fence on the east side and he wants a trailer with a four-wheel drive in Washington County, you're going to have problems. <laughs> I'm just telling you. 
And if she's up to her yin-yang in debt and she likes to swipe her way to happiness and you like to pay for everything in cash, you're going to have problems. And if you were raised on mama's cooking and she doesn't know anything but microwave soup, you're going to have problems. That's really, there's some major problems there. The reality is, is that quit looking to someone else to complete you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Because then what happens is you become the person that you're supposed to be in Christ. And in doing so, you become the best image of what God created you to be in the image and likeness of the creator. Therefore, you become even more attractive to his creation. And his creation becomes even more attractive to you because you see them through the eyes of grace, through the eyes of, of, of Christ, not through your own self. Where are kids? They could be 5, 10, 12, 15, somewhere down the list. It doesn't matter right now. What I'm talking to you is getting these first two things correct. Because if kids are number two, you got a problem. You got a problem. It's not going away. God won. Spouses, too. I say this all the time in premarital counseling. It's like your life is a cup. And you choose what to fill the cup of your life with. And if you're filled with 100% Jesus and she's filled with 50% Jesus, when the two of you come together, you're not going to be 150% Jesus. You're going to be 50%. It's always going to go to the lowest common denominator. If she's 30 and you're 40, it's going to go down to 30. If you're 80 and she's 70, it's going to go down to 70. If she's 80 and you're 80, your cup of your life being filled with Jesus, it's going to be at 80. It's the two that become one. See, when it, when, it, when it comes to marriage, the math is different. One plus one doesn't equal two. One plus one equals one. Why? Because marriage, unlike the church, marriage is the representation of the triune Godhead on the face of this planet. The Trinity, the triune Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three becoming one. On the planet, the body of Christ, which is the bride of Christ, is not the representation of Christ. Because the bride doesn't reflect the groom. The bride is the object of affection of the groom. But, in, but on the face of the planet, what reflects the groom on the planet? It's marriage. It's the marriage covenant between a husband and a wife that the two become one. Therefore, we as married couples are a reflection of who and what God is. So God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is reflected on this earth and that God being deity, God being supreme, God being infinite, having no beginning and no ending, three become one. But on the face of this planet, in our own limitations, and our own uh, finiteness, two become one. It's a reflection of who God is. That's the reason why God hates divorce. We don't talk about that a lot in church anymore because there's so many people that have been divorced. And people that are sitting in the pews that hear a statement that God hates divorce, which is biblical, because it's true, you, you, you can't theologize or contextualize your way out of that when he, it's what it says is the declarative statement, Old Testament, New Testament. But he doesn't hate divorced people. But why does he hate divorce? He hates divorce because it disintegrates the very view of who God's trying to be to the people in the world. And he knows the destruction that it takes and the toll that it takes on his creation. God doesn't want us to hurt or to be in pain in that way. Therefore, he gives us a prescript and to keep our eyes upon him and him being one and our spouse being two. So then therefore, it's okay that she's lovely in form and beautiful in face. It's okay that he's amazingly handsome. It's okay that it's all that. But is his eyes fixed on Jesus? Are your eyes fixed on Jesus? Is she 100% for Jesus? Are you 100% for Jesus? And the two of you come and you become one. 
And then the battle begins and, and keeps about keeping the one together. And then out of that come the children that become the, 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 not the object of the affection, but they, but they become the product of the affection. So that when the kids are raised and they're gone, that the two of you grow old together, loving one another, appreciating one another, valuing one another. Scripture is very clear about this. Even the sexuality and the sensuality between a husband and a wife, that their body and that that sexual experience should always be something that, that, that not only ministers to you, but, but it's something that fulfills you, it blesses you, it helps you, and, it, and that only happens over time. That's something that this world doesn't prescribe to. It wants a one-night stand here and there. It just, it's just chasing some, some person as a sexual object here or there. And so all of a sudden, if I can have a sexual escapade here and a sexual escapade here and sex here and sex there, and I have all these different sexual encounters, the emptiness that's there is crazy. But when you find that sexual reality with one person in holy matrimony, it's, again, it goes back to the fireplace. It is life-giving. It is a blessing. It's producing. And, and, the, and the effects year after year and decade after decade and a lifetime is what produces that type of life. That we all look at this couple that are madly in love sitting on a park bench and go, wow, we want to be that. But do you know how long it takes to get there? Do you know how many times it says no to the world? How many times it says yes to that person? How much time and energy it says keeping your eyes on Jesus and making Jesus number one and your spouse number two? That's how you get there. And what this world will sell you doesn't get you there. I'm going to end with this. Even sometimes when we make mistakes in marriage, God can take even some difficult situations and turn them around for his ultimate good. Because some of you are in marriages where you just, you made a mistake. You go, well, I can't divorce a person. Nope. It's commitment makes the love last, not the love that makes commitment last. But God sees your commitment, and he knows that and knows your heart. And he will, in the long run, if you'll trust in him, walk this out. Again, what I'm saying is much easier said than done. It's much more complicated in reality. But for sake of time, the simplicity of it is God will see it and hear it and understand it and ultimately bless you because of it. Look at verse 35. Leah, she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. And then she stopped having children. The interesting thing here is that when you read the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, Leah's in the genealogy, Rachel is not. Jesus, his lineage comes through Judah. That's why Isaiah called him. He would be the lion of the tribe of Judah. Most of the tribes of Israel come from Leah. This one that was disregarded, that was weak in the eyes, that really had a very tough marriage. She honored God. She stayed faithful. God saw her commitment, and he blessed her because of it. Some of you, you're married to people that are not in faith in Christ. And maybe you, maybe something happened and they were, and now they're not. And, or maybe you were raised in church and you kind of walked away from God and you married someone that you should never have married, but you married them nonetheless. And, and 
you're serving God and they're not. And you go, what do I do? Well, I can just tell you in Scripture, you just stay committed. I have an aunt. I don't know that I've said this much publicly, but uh, raised in church, kind of graduated high school, left home, and just kind of ran away from everything that was godly, married a guy uh, who was a good provider, but just an alcoholic, issues, problems, hated God. I remember one time I was a kid, I was about, I was eight, my brother was six, and he was taking us fishing. It was the first time I'd ever had wintergreen beech nut chewing tobacco. Oh, dear God, that's disgusting. My brother swallowed his, and he threw up profusely, and I spit mine out. This guy, I heard more words put together that I'd never heard, especially at eight. Hated church, anything to do with church. My aunt just kept serving the Lord believing that he would come to faith in Christ. Years, man, years. I, my mom, we, we'd pray, and I'm like, I don't want to pray for Uncle Bill. He's not going to get saved. I mean, he's just, uh, you know, he's a hell raiser, and he just, it's just this, this good guy, but just totally hated church, hated preachers. Oh, dear God, hated preachers. Anytime we'd pray over a meal, he'd get up, walk out, just, I mean, just completely wanted nothing to do with it. My aunt just stayed faithful, just praying, loving God, doing what she could do. She would, she would preach at him every once in a while, and kind of they'd have it out and that kind of a deal. They'd just call my mom and hear about it. There was a major situation that took place. It was kind of a life-changing type event, and it crushed him. And he had nowhere out but up. And he gave his life to Christ. To this day, he's in his upper 70s now. Today, he'd have been at the church, opened the church building. Usher stands at the door, unlocks everything, makes sure everything's working, doing right, locks everything up. Anytime, anytime you're around him now that you pray, he'll weep. He's so broken. I saw him at, at, at Thanksgiving, and he put his arm on my, sh on my shoulder and said, Son, I'm so proud of you and the life. And I mean, this is like, this is not the same guy that gave me chewing tobacco when I was a kid. Just, just so glad that what you did, and, and, just, and just starts weeping. Just anything he can do because of the brokenness. And I just think, what would it have been like if she just said, Nope. I'm, just, I'm in a loveless marriage. I'm, I'm, I'm in a situation. He doesn't love the Lord. I'm just going to go. I want to be happy. Instead, her prayers were answered. Instead, he's on his way to heaven. Instead, the kingdom is built. Someone else is not the author or the finisher of your faith. It's Jesus. Someone else is not your make or break. It's him. And it's not in their court. It's in yours. And my encouragement to you today, if you're young and single, listen to me. The only thing worse than being married is wishing that you were. Be careful who you marry. Marriage is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But many times people run into it so quickly and they don't listen and they become demanding and they make compromises and they shut everything else down because they think that this person, this person will complete them and he won't. 
And then you find yourself with this lifetime of having to deal with this commitment. And I find other people that are, you're married, and it's, you're just, it's jacked up. And what you want to do is hit the eject button and start over. But I'm telling you, that is way more difficult than it is just to stay in and to stay committed and to work through it. Because it's counterintuitive. The thing that feels the most difficult is actually the easiest. And the easiest thing is actually the hardest thing. The hardest thing for you to do is to hit the eject button and then to start over. Statistically speaking, more second marriages end in a divorce than first marriages. And it disintegrates the third and the fourth because we keep bringing the same issues and the same problems and the same expectations over and over and over and placing them on people instead of just stepping back and going, it's not her that's causing my unhappiness, it's me. It's not him, it's me. I can't change him, I can't change her, quit trying. I'm just gonna change me. Jesus, I'm just gonna put my eyes up on you. Jesus, I'm just gonna look to you. Jesus, I'm just gonna walk this out. See, many times even in marriage, what we try to do even with our own problems is we want to lay them on our spouse instead of you work out your own mess. There's some things, this is really biblically mature, for you to just suck it up and to take it and to take it on and to go, I've made some mistakes, I've made some poor choices, I've allowed some things in my life, and I need to walk this out. And this is not something that I dump on my spouse because if I dump it on my spouse, I feel good because it's off my chest. Now they have to wallow in all of this. No, you made your mess, you made a mistake, you own it, you walk it out. Again, keeping our eyes on Jesus, him first, spouse second.